Hey, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here with you. So fun to come out to One Chapel Lake Travis. And this morning, of course, it's freezing cold. I got to wear a nice sweater. It's very nice. I'm, I used to live in Colorado for a long time. And uh, I was a really hardcore cold winter guy. Since living in Texas, I am no longer hardcore cold winter guy. I am weenie guy. I'm like, like it's just so cold. And um, so anyway, uh, it could be. Do you think? Do you think it could be that it could snow in Texas? I would love it if it could snow during Christmas. That would be so awesome. That doesn't happen very often. Um, I want to say a couple of things just about what Alan was sharing. You know, when we do things like Christmas Eve, it is, it is such a great opportunity to invite people who are your friends, who are family members, because it is specifically designed to help them hear the gospel. It is a safe uh, service for them to come to. No weird stuff, guaranteed. And, and, and it's just a place where people can hear the message of the gospel in a time of year when I think people are open. You know, December, the holidays, one of the most difficult times of the year for so many people. And so if you just be thinking about that and praying about that, uh, who could you invite to the service? Candlelighting, such a great moment of reflection, such a great moment to let God in. And I think uh, well, that's what we're praying for. That's what I want you to pray for. We need to pray towards that, that lots of people will come to Jesus because they showed up at a Christmas Eve service. Okay, so just, just to think about that and pray about that over the next few days. All right, uh, why don't you get your Bibles out and let's turn to, we're going to read in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and 2, because we're going to talk about Christmas today. The title of the message is Joy to the World, one of my favorite Christmas songs. Joy to the World. You know, with the series we've just come from with Daniel and, and talking about our culture and talking about our role in it and where we're going and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're going to live in a post-Christian society. Man, I don't know about you, but I have loved that series and I have heard such great feedback, but it was heavy stuff. Today, I want to highlight the joy that is supposed to be part of who we are as God's people. And we're going to look at the Christmas story because it's December 18th. We're going to look at the Christmas story uh, to see how God brought joy into the world. And so just before I do that, I want to say to you that you bring me joy as a pastor. The fact that I could come out here and see this room full of people Look at your faces and see what God is doing in this place, that God is healing, that God is strengthening, that God is delivering, that God is moving people forward in him. It is such a joyful thing to me. It is so, I'm so, I'm like a proud papa. I got like, I mean, I am so proud to be involved in this family. I'm so grateful that you are part of my church family. I'm so grateful for Russ and Courtney Walker, who are incredible pastors. Don't you think so? Really great, amazing people. Amazing people who carry the burden of sharing their lives with you and, and wanting to see you thrive and in a, in a place of great joy with Jesus. And so uh, I just want to tell you, as the lead pastor of One Chapel, I'm so proud of you. 
You bring me joy with what's happening in your lives and what's happening here in Lake Travis. And here's the wonderful thing. I look forward to more. I have expectation. I see forward. I see Jesus doing something beyond what we already know. And when I, when I think about that, it just fills me with joy. And so uh, I, I, think, I think what you guys are doing here is you're reflecting a new optimism in the Lake Travis area for this church. You're reflecting a, a, a place of healing. There's something going on here that people didn't know about. All the work you did at Falltober, incredible, incredible people coming to church as a result of this giant Ferris wheel parked in the front parking lot. <laughs> Jesus can use a Ferris wheel, and so it's so fun to see this, and a place where uh, one, uh, one chapel, Lake Travis, is, is a place where people can be loved, where people can be healed, where, where people can understand, regardless of their history or their background or their mistakes or their failures, that they will be loved. That's what I, that's what I love about what's happening here. And what is happening at one chapel across the three communities that we have. And so, anyway, I'm glad you're part of my family. For those of you who maybe don't know me very well, because I've only been here a few times uh, over the last few months, I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world. Yes, I got her. It's just, sorry for the rest of you. <laughs> I've been married to her for 24 years. We'll have our 25th anniversary this next year. And so, really incredible. I love her today more than I ever have before. And her name is Amy. I want her to stand up, and you guys give her a huge... Thank you. Give her a huge hand for living with me. I'd be in trouble without her. And I have uh, five kids, and uh, the oldest one is 22 uh, all the way down to the youngest one who is 10. And uh, so the oldest one is married, and he's married. His name is Zachary. He's married to Misty. And it's so fun to watch them just starting out their new lives. Um, Taylor is uh, 20 years old. He's the guy who sat on the box and played the box. It's called a cajon, by the way. Um, but it is, I, who knew you could make that much awesome sound come out of a box sitting on it? Um, and it, <laughs> that sounded weird, didn't it? So, so then I have a, I have a, we have one girl named Grace, <laughs> one girl named Grace, and, and then four boys, and so the last two boys are 12 and 10, Ethan and Owen, <laughs> and so Grace is never going to be shocked by anything any boy ever does in the rest of her life. So, um, so I'm grateful for my family. The other day, uh, Owen was at school and he was talking about how they were talking about how to set goals for the next year. And so they're all setting goals and you know he's 10 years old, he's in 4th grade and they're goal setting and he's writing down some goals and and one of his major goals for 2017 was to enjoy church more. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was, I, he brought that home and told his mom and he, she read it and I was like, I was thinking about the teacher, uh, this is the pastor's son and he's trying to enjoy <laughs> church more. <laughs> but I think, I think we should enjoy what God is doing among us. Church should not be a drudgery. Church should not be an obligation. 
Living together as God's people should not be something that's just so hard and painful. Certainly, there is pain associated with our lives. There's struggle. We're all going to walk through something. But there is joy in the work of Christ in our lives. And I, I want to highlight that enjoyment today. And so I'm going to start with a little reading. It's called Trouble at the Inn. Trouble at the Inn. I'm just going to read it for you. And I think it's just really fun. A fun little picture of Christmas and how it is for children of all ages. For years now, whenever Christmas pageants are talked about in a certain little town in the Midwest, someone is sure to mention the name of Wallace Perling. Wally's performance in one annual production of the Nativity Play has slipped into the realm of legend. But the old-timers who were in the audience that night never tire of recalling exactly what happened. Wally was nine that year, and in the second grade, though he should have been in the fourth, and most people in town knew that he had difficulty in keeping up, he was big and clumsy, slow in movement and mind. Still, Wally was well-liked by the other children in his class, all of whom were smaller than he. Though the boys had trouble hiding their irritation if the uncoordinated Wally asked to play ball with them. Most often, they'd find a way to keep him off the field, but Wally would hang around anyway, not sulking, just hoping. He was always a helpful boy, a willing and smiling one, and the natural protector, paradoxically, of the underdog. Sometimes if the older boys chased the younger ones away, it would always be Wally who'd say, can't they stay? They're no bother. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd with a flute in the Christmas pageant that year, but the play's director, Miss Lombard, assigned him to a more important role. After all, she reasoned the innkeeper did not have too many lines, and Wally's size would make his refusal of lodging to Joseph more forceful. And so it happened that the usual large partisan audience gathered for the town's yuletide extravaganza of the staffs and creches, of beards, crowns, halos, and a whole stage full of squeaky voices. No one on stage or off was more caught up in the magic of the night than Wallace Perling. They said later that he stood in the wings watch, and watched the performance with such fascination, and from time to time, Miss Lombard had to make sure he didn't wander on stage before his cue. Then the time came when Joseph appeared, slowly, tenderly, guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door set into the painted backdrop. Wally, the innkeeper, was there waiting. What do you want, Wally said, swinging the door open with a brusque gesture. We seek lodging. Seek it elsewhere. Wally looked straight ahead, but spoke vigorously. The inn is filled. Sir, we have asked everywhere in vain. We have traveled far and are very weary. There is no room in this inn for you, Wally looked properly stern. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She is heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. Now, for the first time, the innkeeper relaxed his stiff stance and looked down at Mary. And with that, there was a long pause, long enough to make the audience a bit tense with embarrassment. No, be gone, the prompter whispered from the wings. No, Wally repeated automatically, be gone. 
Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary, and Mary laid his head on upon her shoulder, on his shoulder, and the two of them started to move away. And the innkeeper did not return inside his inn, however. While he stood there in the doorway watching the forlorn couple, his mouth was open, his brow creased with concern, his eyes filling unmistakably with tears. Don't go, Joseph, Wally called out. (laughs) Bring Mary back. And Wallace Perling's face grew into a bright smile. You can have my room. Some people in town thought that the pageant had been ruined, and yet there were others, many others, who considered it the most Christmas of all Christmas pageants they had ever seen. Such a great story, such a great picture of joy, such a great picture of hope, such a great picture of the innocence that all of us need to capture during this Christmas season. And I fear that sometimes we don't. We go through Christmas with kind of a curmudgeon kind of I gotta deal with the holidays and the busyness and the presents and all the junk that goes on. I was talking to one guy this afternoon and he was, or sorry, this morning, and he was saying, he was saying, I'm, I'm doing stuff every night of the week, parties and such. And it's not bad, it's good. But I fear that sometimes we lose the joy of what Jesus wants for us. So so today, let's talk about it. Luke 1, verse 39. And let's read the, the, the Christmas story. We'll just read a few portions of it. Verse 39 in chapter 1, it says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth was her cousin. There was a there was, there was a, a miracle that had happened to Mary. She'd, she'd seen an angel, and the angel had told her she was going to be pregnant. The angel had told her an incredible thing. And, and, and the angel's message included, your cousin is now pregnant. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. Promise. I just want you to write promise in your notes right there. Just write it to the side. Promise. The Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary sings a song. It's called the Magnificat in tradition. And, it's, and it says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. 
And he sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, I want you to see the scene. I want you to see Mary is coming to visit, and Elizabeth greets her. The angel is told Mary, of the miracle that's happening in Elizabeth, because Elizabeth is older, and she has not been able to become pregnant. And in a miracle, a mighty miracle, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And when the two hormonally pregnant women meet with weeping, and they, they meet each other, the baby leaps John is his name, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps with joy at the meeting of Mary, who is carrying the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And there is joy and tears, and they're dancing around, these two women crying their eyes out, <laughs> so joyful, so amazed, just incredibly overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Number one, joy is gratitude on display. It's gratitude on display. It was an incredible thing that God was doing in these two women's lives. He was doing the impossible, in fact. Mary and Elizabeth were filled with such gratitude they could not help it. Joy just came out. And let me tell you something. Joy always increases. It always increases when we share it with others. It always increases when we share it with others. In fact, joy experienced alone is often no joy at all. It's hard. It's hard, to, it's, hard to, it's hard to share it. If you don't share it with others, it's like you're just experiencing it by yourself. Whenever anything good happens, the first thing you want to do is you want to call somebody. You want to tell somebody what happened. You want to share it with somebody. God designed you that way. God designed us that way. The Psalms, if you look through the Scripture, the Psalms are full of encouragements to shout for joy. Why? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Doesn't, doesn't the psalmist know life is hard? How can we shout for joy as people who live in the 21st century in an American culture where people, they express all kinds of crazy happiness but sometimes God's people are the ones with the frowns. I don't, I don't think it should be this way. Let me ask you a question. What would make you celebrate wildly? What would make you, what would make you just responsive in joy without being inhibited? What would it be? Uh, would it be the Powerball? If you won the power, the jackpot, would you be like, oh my gosh? What would make you celebrate? What would make you get crazy? Football championship? I've, I've been to the UT football games. I've been there. It's like church. Only four hours long. <laughs> it's crazy. They got their own songs. They've got curse words in them, but they're still their own songs. And the people are talking to each other about stuff. And there's, a, like, I mean, if it's a good game, they're excited. Haven't had much to cheer about lately. But there is a, there is a thing 
that people get excited about all kinds of stuff. What would make you excited? A sick child getting healed? Your money worries being settled? All your debts paid off? <laughs> what I f- here's what I fear. Here's what I fear is that we have lost sight of the majesty and wonder and the beauty of a Savior coming into the world to rescue us from the darkness, the dreariness, the tragedy, the brokenness of our world. And we still live in it. We still have to walk through. No doubt there are some things that are so challenging. But listen, joy has come into our lives. This is the thing we have to grab hold of. We can't just let it be relegated to things like money and debt and football games. That You know what that tells you? If you're more excited about that stuff, you, you've forgotten the revelation of what God has done, of what he is doing and of what he has promised to do. Promising to do. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I think church should be a little louder place. I think when the people of God gather together and sing these songs, there is a joy that can fill our hearts. I think it's a practice that we have to have of gratitude. All right, let's go on. Luke 2, verse 8. If you go forward in your Bible, just another page. Luke 2, verse 8. And we're going to catch up with the shepherds. Mary and Joseph are have had the baby in a, in a stable, in a manger. Here it is. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <laughs> Often joy comes right after being terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you... Look at that. Look at that. Oh, it's one of the most said phrases from God in the Bible, or from the angelic being. One of the most said phrases is, don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear. I always want to say, I always think the people in the Bible are like, well, stop scaring me. (laughs) Okay. Massive angelic hosts (laughs) scaring me to death. You know, you wouldn't have to say, don't be afraid. Anyway, here we go. I bring you good news. Everybody say good news. That will cause great joy. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when angels... The angels had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things 
and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just what they had been told. I want you to see, first of all, that the angels were singing about joy. They were singing about joy coming into the world. The starry night gives way to a glowing, glorious, angelic host beings, massive beings who sing that there's, there's a deliverance that is coming. There is good news that will be for all people in all the world. Great joy. And then suddenly the sky opens up and it fills, fills up the sky with a huge display of heaven's armies all singing together, glory to God in the highest. Peace and goodwill to all men. Technically, they weren't singing. The Bible doesn't say they were singing. But we imagine them singing about this joy. I want you to notice that the shepherds, initially terrified, then were filled with joy as they leave the manger. They go to this, they go find this. Can you imagine this process? They're going from place to place throughout Bethlehem. Is there a baby in here? I mean, how did they figure, how did they figure out where, I mean, they had to go look. <laughs> Any babies here? No, get out. They, they're searching for this baby. They find this baby in a manger. I want, you to, I want you to see it. Toothless, smelly men of the field. You know how when people have babies, ladies, you know, nice little, nice little birthing room. People bring little, like, Nice little baggy bags of like onesies and stuff, you know. Here you go. So cute. So sweet. <laughs> Not Mary and Joseph. <laughs> Smelly, toothless, weird shepherds. <laughs> These are people that were separated from society. These are the lowest on the social ladder. <laughs> These are the people that come and, and, and say to them. Now, now, check this out. Shepherds come and say to Mary and Joseph, we saw angels. And Mary and Joseph are like, you saw him too? Because Mary, Mary had seen an angel, and so, so had Joseph by this time. They had, they had been spoken to. And so for Mary and Joseph, this was a moment of profound significance because as God always does, he always gives us what's coming, he promises it, and then he sends us little clues that it's coming. That what he told us is true, but you got to wait for the clues. The shepherds were a clue to Mary and Joseph that this is real. You could imagine. They, they show up. Is there a baby in here? Uh, yes. <laughs> this, and tell us the story. We saw angels. We saw all this stuff. And Mary and Joseph are looking at each other like, do you ever have this feeling where you're in a room and people are talking? They have, they, they're talking about something, but you and another person actually know something that they don't know. Have <laughs> you ever had that feeling? It's like, That's so fun. It's so fun. There's like a little, it's like a little mini joy in the room. It's like th this is what's happening to Mary and Joseph. And I want, to, I want to suggest to you that there is joy in this journey for Mary and Joseph. But I want to, number two, joy is the result of pursuing something greater than joy. Joy is the result of pursuing something greater. I want you to know that, you realize, I'm sure you know this, the pursuit of happiness is in our national founding documents. 
that these are rights that we have. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness is a difficult thing. Whenever we use it as the thing we're trying to get, it is always elusive. Because happiness is always a byproduct. It can never be the focus of, the th of, of your life. If it's the focus of your life, you ruin your life. If it's the focus, if joy is like, I want this thing to happen to me, what happens is people start self-medicating. They do things that are self-gratifying because happiness is the goal. And as they try to do things that will make themselves happy because happiness is all there is, they lose it. They get miserable. They get angry because other people are taking their happiness away. They don't understand that there's something more, that there's something beyond, that's something greater than themselves. I was watching a documentary last night on Netflix. You can check it out. It's called Minimalism. Minimalism. It's like becoming this crazy um, passion of a bunch of millennialists. <laughs> Millennials who are, who, are, who are working through the process of getting sick and tired of all the stuff in our culture. And it was a whole documentary about how these people who've discovered that they don't want all the things to take their soul. It's just about their journey. And so even secular people realize that things do not actually result in happiness or joy. Joy is the result of pursuing something or someone who is greater. Look what Hebrews 12, 2 says. Or, yeah, I'll just read that real quick. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, Jesus was willing to fix his attention, to look beyond the pain and struggle of the cross to the joy that was coming. He, he, he realized that there was something greater he'd been called to, and the surrender of his life to his heavenly Father to die on a cross, to take the sins of the world upon us. He was thinking of you and me. There was a greater purpose for him, and joy was coming from that greater purpose. You and I have to grab a hold of that. Now, here's what I think Here's why I think the Bible records that shepherds are the first to announce the Christ child. Because these are the lowest of the low in society, and they are the ones who had the most time on their hands. <laughs> hey, if the sky was filled with angelic beings that night, why didn't anybody in Bethlehem see it? Could it be they were looking down, too busy? Too consumed? Let me encourage you. Busyness, stress, and too much activity are often the enemies of joy. Busyness, stress, and too much activity often the enemies of joy. Could it be that God revealed himself to those who were willing, those who were open, could it be that joy comes to those whose lives are uncluttered and focused on Jesus? 
uncluttered and focused on Jesus. Now, I know this is an easy thing for me to say, hard for me to do. My life is just as cluttered as yours, sometimes more so because I get to justify it in ministry. But it still doesn't make me whole, right? It still doesn't make me joyful if I don't, if I have my life all messed up. Here, 21 days of prayer, you know what, you know what? part of that is, is you just uncluttering your life for the first month of the year and saying, okay, God, I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to serve you first. I'm going to pray first. I'm going to do something that focuses my attention on you besides all this other stuff I got to do. I'm going to look to you first and then let you add everything else. By the way, that's how it works. You look to him, then he adds. If you try to add, you stop seeing him. You see him, he adds. Okay? Uh, finally, I'm, I, I'm kind of out of time here, but I want to, I'm going to just say, I'm going to just say the next passage is Luke 2.25. You can see it in your notes. This is a story of Simeon and Anna, and they were people in the temple. And these, this, this priest, this righteous and devout man, and this prophetess, this prophet Anna, they were in the temple when Jesus was eight days old, and they, the scripture says that Mary and Joseph brought him to fulfill the requirements of the law, and so they brought him to the temple, and these were two people who were waiting, waiting. They were old. These were, one was a widow. She, Anna was a widow, and she had been waiting. The Bible says she spent all her time fasting and praying in the temple since her husband had died. And these people were waiting for God to reveal himself. Could I help you see that there is joy that is found when you're willing to wait, when you're willing to believe in the promise, number three, joy comes from a deeply held conviction that God is good. Here's what Simeon and Anna had to do. They, had, they believed that God was good and what he had promised in the Messiah was coming. They believed that he was good and it didn't appear that he was, things were that good. I mean, the, things didn't look so good in this day. I mean, the Jewish people were living under the tyranny of the Roman government. There was, there was a, a, a brutality to this season of history. And we have to understand that, that things didn't look good. And here's two people that were waiting that were, that were looking forward, that were waiting for this moment. And when the moment came, suddenly Jesus comes into the temple, brought by his father and mother just as a baby, and something happens to Simeon and Anna. And they're filled with joy. And joy appears after many years of faithfully watching and waiting. Joy appears after many years of faithfully watching and waiting. I believe that this is a profound idea within the Scriptures, and you see it all across the landscape. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, you see it in the life of Jesus. You see Him saying, it's not living for everything that you can get now that really makes a difference. It's being willing to store up treasures in heaven where nothing is destroyed instead of living for your life for everything that's here and now. This is all through the scriptures. 
James 1, 2 through 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's what I want you to see. Here's the picture I want you to see. Joy emerges out of the bedrock of suffering. Joy always emerges. Have you ever seen a little plant grow up through the concrete? How does a little plant get it, make its way all the way through concrete and show itself? How does that happen? It's the power of the seed. It's the power of the plant. It's the power of the life-giving process that God created that can make its way up through concrete and then you got to spray it with that stuff to try to kill it. And even that doesn't do it. It comes back. It comes back. Happens in my driveway every year. Listen. I want you to see. Now listen. God created it that way. As a way of helping us understand that his promises are true. And that there is a seed in your life in your heart, in your soul, just like a seed, just like things that grow up throughout the earth, things that plants make their way through all kinds of man-made material, man-made harshness and hardness, still God, in his creative process, made something so powerful that it would grow, that it would come alive, that it would not die. I think this church is kind of like that. There was a seed God working in this, this place. And here we are. Here we are to something growing after such, such difficulty and, and, and struggle. Here you are. This, we should be joyous about this. We should be joyful about this. And we should see that God is in the waiting. And he is coming with his promise. And that should give us joy. Close your eyes and bow your heads. I want you to think about what God is saying to you now. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is he what is he what does he want you to focus on? How does he want you to refocus your priorities? Maybe you've just gotten ungrateful in your life. You've gotten too distracted by all the hard stuff you're facing. And you stopped being grateful. You stopped thanking God. You stopped expressing joy, letting joy be on display because you've become so frustrated with where you are in your life. Can I just suggest to you that there's a seed in your soul and in your heart that God's put there and, and He wants to let it grow up through the hardness of your circumstances. And I, I want you to discover that joy today, that he's for you and with you. He's not against you. And even though you don't see what you want to see yet, or you don't understand why things are the way they are, that you look to him today. Maybe you've just lost focus. You, your life has become complicated, and your, your life is full of stuff, full of things this is your moment to say, okay, all right, Jesus, I want to I simplify and I want to reprioritize 
and fix my eyes on you. We're going to come to the Lord's table and I, I want you to let him speak to you and do something profound deep in your heart, your soul. Let him, let him help you rediscover joy because he's so kind. He's so good. His promises are true. Grab a hold of that today. And grab a hold of it by coming to this table because the table represents all that is good, all that is good about God, sending his son, Jesus Christ. The bread at this table represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you and for me. The cup represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. There is forgiveness. There is healing. There is provision. There is nourishment at this table. This is worth celebrating. And when you come to this table, would you leave your grumpy ways? <laughs> would you be willing to surrender and refocus? Would you be willing to receive the grace and the goodness of God at this table and let him fill you with joy. We practice open communion here at One Chapel, which simply means if you love him, you want to serve him, you want to follow him, we want you to come to this table. If you feel like this is not something you want to do right now, please don't feel pressured. We just want you to walk through the line so people don't have to step over you, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Would you, would you show us who you are and what you want to do in our lives? Would you, would you remove some of the, the pain and the difficulty? Would you heal and, and strengthen us today? Would you help us to see beyond the, the, the difficult things we're facing to the joy that is set before us? Would you help us to see the cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself coming in the innocence of a little baby? Restore our innocence today, Lord, so we can be joyful in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll begin to your, your right, and this side will come to this table, this side will come to this table. Let's begin. I think there's something that God wants to birth in us in a new way. And I think birth in one chapel, Lake Travis, in a new way, I think it has to do with joy. It has to do with, it has to do with this abiding wonder, a, a reclamation, a, a reclaiming of innocence in our heart and our souls. And maybe that's you today because you're, you're really not living in a way that reflects the joy of Jesus Christ in your life. And I want to pray for you. And that doesn't matter to me if it's the first time you've kind of prayed this prayer or if it's the first time in a long time. It doesn't matter. But I want to pray with you. And I want to ask Jesus to abide, to come, to reclaim your soul, your heart, for you to live for something greater than yourself or your happiness. So would you join me in a prayer and let's ask God to do something profound in our lives. Everybody together. You can pray it with me. I'm going to pray out loud, but you pray right there under your breath and just join me in this prayer. Everybody's eyes closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of life today. 
the picture, the story of Jesus coming into the world and the way he came as a baby, it's a profound idea. Sometimes we just need to recover our innocence, the innocence of a child coming into the world to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring hope, to bring truth. I pray in the name of Jesus, together with my friends here today, that you would fill us with new joy. You'd fill us with a greater awareness and understanding of the miracle of Christ coming into the world to transform and to change us. Would you help us to not be consumed with ourselves or the busyness of our lives, but to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Help us. Help us. Give us strength. Lord, we pray for a grateful heart as we fix our eyes on you. We pray for a refocusing of our priorities, and we ask you, Lord Jesus, to lead us. We want to belong to you. We want to follow you. Lord, forgive us for getting hung up on all this stuff. Forgive us for insisting on our own way instead of seeing your way. Forgive us, Lord. Heal our hearts. Deliver us. Strengthen us. Make us people of joy. We thank you for this, and we receive it from you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. Now listen, if God's doing something really big in you, maybe for the first time, maybe it's just a, a, a recommitment in your life, I want you to fill out this connection card. It's right in your seat back pocket. We talked about it earlier in the service. Alan did. We, need, we want you to walk together with people. We want to walk with you. If you're isolated, we want to be right there with you. Fill that out so people can walk with you. If you have a prayer request or anything, you want to take care of that, that would be awesome. Put those three points back up there, Beth, if you can. You put those last three points up there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them to you. Ready? Here it is. If you want to experience greater joy, you got to cultivate a grateful heart. <laughs> you could have guessed that. But I, here's how you do it. You think about where you'd be without Jesus versus how bad things are with Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes you have a tendency to go, man, I just can't seem to do it. I just can't seem to make it. I just, I need to be a better person. I wish I was just, and then you're not joyful. Imagine how bad it would be if Jesus hadn't done a miracle in your life. That'll lead you to gratitude. I won't preach a whole nother sermon. Number two, simplify your life and refocus your priorities. Yes, this is what we want. Number three, faithfully fix your eyes on Jesus with prayer, with worship, with community, with being together. All right, thank you so much for coming today. Um, if you fill out that card, you, you, where do you guys put it? Do you put it in the, the welcome center? Sorry. <laughs> at the movie theater, they don't do that. But um, at the welcome center out there, um, and uh, make sure that you pick up your mug if you need to. These people are up here for prayer. If you want to pray for anything, come forward, all right? God bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.